This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. It's double done this week, so uh, my colleague Andy Dunn and Matt Dunn also from The Express. Good morning, guys. Nice to uh, to have your company and uh, lots to digest, really. Um, as the title suggests, but I do think Man, Man United don't—they always make it about them. Uh, there's a failing habit to never sort of disappoint to us, kind of make themselves centre of attention. Frankly, don't they really? Um, uh, VAR and spotlight again. Um, you, you, you know, really, wow, what a what a what a what a mess and what a night that was in in Paris for Newcastle as well. Arsenal absolutely cruising through. Matt, you were there, weren't you? Football sing bins. We'll be having a little look at that as well as, of course, looking forward to the Premier League draw. And who could forget? Uh, Premier League uh, weekend, I should say, programme fixtures. And I'm, I'm already thinking about the Euro draw, really. So who could forget about that? England up to third in the world rankings this morning. Quite some story, that. But li- listen, let's start with, with United. Andy, shall we? What did you what did you make of last night? Because I tell you what, it was <laughs> I did actually think Galatasaray. We forget it's like a who's who of who used to play in the Premier League, basically. It's like an old boys' club, isn't it? Basically, and it's almost quite amusing. The familiarity makes them probably seem greater um, than they actually are, because basically, how United he kind of didn't win that from two 0 then three one is anyone's guess, but largely down to the feet of Onana, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is but it, listen, it was a terrific game, wasn't it? It was a terrific game to watch. I was so glad that it got on. I mean, all through the day, they were talking that it might be in jeopardy because of the weather. Brilliant game to watch. Um, really entertaining. I mean, they always are there. You, you know, we, we always build up this welcome to hell, this place, you, you know, and, and, and generally... English teams don't don't often lose there, and it looked like United would certainly not lose. I thought they played quite well. United, um, I'm not sure they defended that well. And Anana, yes, obviously he will get the brunt of the criticism, but I think he was exposed quite a bit as well by his defence and by their uh, defensive midfield efforts. Um, but overall, you have to come back to the goalkeeper, and you have to. It's a question now, isn't it? At what point does um, pride? become an issue in the terms of Ten Hag, because Anana is clearly a Ten Hag signing. You know, let's not, you know, does this fall at the feet of the recruitment departments? Well, yes, it does to a certain extent, because their list of um, signings hasn't been great. But you do get the feeling that this one certainly was Eric Ten Hag driven. So at what point does he actually accept that he might have actually made an error of judgment? At what point does Anana's body of work become so... Um, um, littered with errors 
you have to actually bite the bullet and say, listen, you know, I've made a mistake. I do now need a serious alternative to Anana. And obviously, he could go out in January, and there are serious alternatives out there in the goalkeeping departments. You only have to look at, um, you know, you have to look at, say, Aaron Ramsdale, for example. You know, you could test the water with Everton, with Jordan Pickford in terms of trying to get him out of there. So that's what it's going to come down to, is when does Ten Hag actually admit? Now, again, in fairness with Nana, and I only wrote this, I went to the Everton-Manchester United game on Sunday, and I did write, I feel a bit guilty now saying this about Nana, because I did write that he was showing the signs of um, becoming more comfortable with the role, more assertive, more sure in everything he does, and then he comes along and does that you know, last night. And without a doubt, you know, that will almost certainly think cost United their chances of qualifying for the knockout stages, particularly with Copenhagen getting that result um, against Bayern. Um, but yeah, listen, terrific game. I, I, again, I also agree with Ten Hag, though, when he said, you know, he, he sort of intimated that it would be difficult now to qualify. But again, he's emphasising that it's a, it's a work. It, it United under him is still very much a work in progress. I think it is. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. They need to get the recruitment right. It's, it's the absolute essential one. And I don't think in terms of Anana, they got that recruitment right. No. I mean, it is, it is bizarre, um, the Anana uh, signing, because also you have to kind of set that 45 million odd quid, basically, also against the cost of, it feels like, losing David De Gea. So you are kind of ditching David De Gea to spend 45 million quid you know, because David De Gea was obviously free and left as a free and has not signed anyone, Matt, I don't know if you agree, but, but you're almost kind of saying, you know, to, to um, you know, if you are Eric Ten Hag, you're saying to Manchester United's recruitment team, this guy is £45 million better and worth more than, than David De Gea. It's never quite like that, but you understand my meaning. And it just looks worse and worse by each game, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. But to use a stick to beat him with, it hasn't worked out too badly for Spurs, has it? Uh, we've ditched a World Cup winner in Hugo Lloris, side Vicario, and he's done really well. He's taken to the Premiership very well. Um, has a lot more uh, footballing ability to, to keep the, the ball moving for Spurs and doesn't seem to be as error-prone as Lloris has become. And I know you, like me, are a big fan of Lloris, so I think that was a massive call down there. And it can work. What he's done, he's put the wrong goalkeeper to back and it's just not working. Uh, and that's symptomatic, I think, of too many mistakes that are being made in the recruitment, whoever's doing it at Old Trafford. And, and yes, yeah, it's another one. It's a big call and he's got it wrong. I mean, that, that's the facts of the matter. Yeah. Andy, do, do United still still qualify, do you think? I mean, if you look at the makeup here, you know, I was ever so surprised Bayern don't win last night. Is that partly because they've already qualified? How do they approach it in a couple of weeks' time? That sort of thing, really. I don't know. It's 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 difficult to break it down, isn't it? It, it is. It is. I mean, I, I, I was surprised Bayern didn't win last night. Well, before the game, I thought they might not do because they've already qualified. But the Bayern had a strong team out last night. Um, they didn't win. Um, they've qualified. I don't think... I think if you consider they've got, I did look at this the other week and they've got a, they obviously have a winter break in Germany, a Christmas break, but they, they have got a couple of games in relatively quick succession in the Bundesliga after the Manchester United game. I think off the top of my head, they play 
They play United, I think, on the Wednesday. Um, it's on the, not next Wednesday, the Wednesday after um, December the 12th or 13th. And then I think Bayern have got a couple of games then before the Christmas break in the Bundesliga. On that basis, I would expect them to to rest a few players. Um, you know, they're, they're winning the group and they've won the group. They haven't just qualified, they've won the group, so they'll be seeded. I would expect them to rest a few players for the game at Old Trafford. So on that basis, I would suggest that United have still got a really good chance of winning that game. Um, it won't be easy. But then, of course, if, if you then have a winner in the Copenhagen Galatasaray game, then it'll be the Europa League for Manchester United. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not in their hands, let's put it that way. You, you, you know, It's not exclusively in their hands, sorry. They must beat Bayern Munich. Will they beat them? I do think Bayern will rest players. I do think there's also mentality in players that I think you certainly saw in the first half of Manchester City's game against Leipzig, where even if you pick a strong team, if you're already qualified, you know, something kicks in that, you know, you don't have to be as intense as as you need to be. We saw it with England, for example, when they've qualified from their group and the European Championships, the intensity drops a notch. I think Guy Southgate called it self-regulation, didn't he? And I think there is an element to that, and there will be an element to that for Bayern. So will they beat Bayern Munich? Yes. Will it be enough? I'm not sure. No. Matt, I think at the start of the season, I was assuming we'd get five places next season in the Champions League. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not quite so sure that we, that we will now. We probably won't find out for some time, is my understanding of it, basically, because it's like, it doesn't just depend on our performance, clearly, does it? It depends on what other leading nations do, really. But if it does turn into a bit of a disaster, if United don't make it, if Newcastle don't make it, you know, that that there's a real chance that England, who, who probably the Premier League probably assumed five point five teams in next season Champions League was a given, that it won't be. I mean, that's a serious setback, isn't it? I think. Uh, well, yeah, it is, and probably for one of those teams, quite possibly, you could could end up finishing fifth. Um, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, very much so. I mean, the the there's been a, the across the board strength of the Premier League that has got England up there. Um, you know, it's at the start when it first started, it was only uh, three English teams. Um, that that it's been four for so long now because of that consistent performance um, that uh, that we kind of got used to it and expected it to grow. But but yeah, if we if we do fall off uh, and teams that are expected to do well don't do well. Then yeah, we are going to start losing ranking. The one, the one thing is, you still expect at least one English club to go deep, which should pull up the uh, quota, you know, a little bit on the old index. So, uh, so yeah, it will, will be a late, a late calculation done on the back of whatever illicit materials, cigarette papers, or whatever it is that you're out these days still, um, which uh, will determine it. So, um, so yeah, we'll wait and see. But but we could do a few more. It's, it's what was really mad that when teams root against English teams in Europe, I think we should all get behind the English teams and, and hope they do well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Price, Priceline. I, I have to say, I think that's a great point, you know, because I always, you know, I've always, always wanted English teams to do well in the Champions League. And I just think, you know, I tell you, <laughs> it's quite amusing to see the little petty rivalries crop up. I always want English teams to do well in European competition and stuff. Like of course you do. All right. Obviously, there's a couple of exceptions, pal. But basically, you know, where are we? <laughs> exactly. There's got to be an exception, mate. As I say, it's like, it's like saying, you know, so this idea, for example, you know, um, would... You know, Man United fans want Liverpool to do well in Europe, or Liverpool fans want Man United fans to do well in Europe, on the basis that we could get an extra place in the Champions League or maybe the Europa League or whatever. Of course, they, of course, they don't. That's what rivalry is all about. You revel in your, you revel in your rivals' misfortune. You don't egg them on at any stage. Yeah, well, remember, remember when um, when Chelsea Chelsea won the uh, won the Champions League from where was it? Which position? And it knocked it knocked out Spurs, didn't it? I mean, it was you know, it was. I mean, that was that was bizarre. I think you're right there. And then the other thing that I picked up on this week, which I thought was was childish beyond belief, really. I, I guess you're always going to have that. Was the delight amongst Arsenal fans at Newcastle's VAR heartbreak, really? And I just thought, come on, guy, it's not it's not Newcastle's fault about the decisions, is it? Don't blame them. And I just thought that's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, sort of the petty rivalries. You're, you're right, of course, there's always got to be. But I'm sorry, I disagree, actually. I want English teams to do with it, you know, and I'm sure, it, it, you know, each fan will have their own sort of kind of one or two exception. But then basically, you know, I went to, uh, you know, we were in Istanbul last, last year, weren't we, or uh, earlier this year, I should say. And basically, you know, uh, well, I think we all wanted to, it's when do we? I thought, you know, I definitely did. Wanted to see him make a bit of history. Yeah, but still, I'm, I'm on about the direct fan, the direct yeah, rivals. Yeah, you know, yeah. Manchester United fans or Liverpool fans didn't want didn't want Manchester City to win that Champions League final, did they? We come in from a different perspective, don't we? You know, I, I mean, I do think I, I think that you know your rival fans no way want them to win. Uh, you know, in that situation, and and that's and that's fine. That's fine. I do personally. Personally, I, I want you know because it doesn't particularly affect my team, and it's not going to affect my team whether we get an extra Champions League place, two extra Champions League places, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine extra Champions League places. But that, but that, so so I'd like more English teams in it. But you know, I don't think the fan, the direct. I don't even know who your team is, Andy. I don't know. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, I, uh, <laughs> the dabbers. <laughs> well, of course, I've been to the ground. Um, anyway, oh, yeah, mate, I, I, mate, it's big old, we got a big win for one mate on Tuesday. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I don't know how it's come to hey, this York yet. City in the FA Trophy on uh, Saturday week, yeah. Big, oh, big good game. Luck to, yeah, brilliant. Good luck to the Dabbers. Fantastic. Great stuff. Great stuff. Matt, what did you make of the VAR absolute farce in Paris for, 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 for Newcastle? Oh. I just, uh, I, I, yeah, my, my, my initial reaction was, oh my God, it's going global because I'd had the misfortune of watching uh, Wolves suffer again the night before. So yeah. I was, um, yeah, just to see Gary O'Neill's resignation on the fact that another decision had gone, you know, he was, he went politely to speak to the referee afterwards. 
he was just kind of, I don't want a letter. I don't want flowers. I just want my points back. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it's taken all sorts of victims along the way, VAR. It is a disgrace the way it's being used. Um, and, and Newcastle's another case in point. Another referee um, jocked off his road so because of a, a glaring human error, and that's the problem. It's not VAR, it's the humans who are running it. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know, they just want their heads banging together or something because I think they're making decisions because they feel they ought to see something because they've got all this technology. They need to, to justify having it to find something, but they're making nonsensical decisions that aren't footballing decisions. Here's a thought. This is what something clear and obvious is. If something's clear and obvious, it's clear and obvious enough for the referee on the pitch with his two assistants to see it. There's a thought. You said, why don't we just let them get on with it? And, you know, it is becoming the point that we're doing it so badly that you wonder whether it is time just to stop the whole VAR thing for a couple of years. Initially, they talked about trialling it, and also, and they, they, it doesn't seem to have been done enough um, to have found out the right answers. Yes, uh, even offside it can put up with because it kind of makes sense, even if they do still manage to muck that one up as well. But largely that's helped. A goal line technology. But no, these subjective ones, they're just seeing things for the sake of seeing things. And, and it's the human beings that are getting it wrong. Yeah, I must say, I like the referee. I think he's a good one of the best on, on the on the Champions League circuit. He was very demonstrative and strong. Did make me laugh to see some of the, some of the people sort of you know and Eddie Howe sort of played into this, saying that basically he was pressurised into that decision. Pressurised. You watched the game. I mean, he was he was you know he, I thought he was quite strong and he booked he booked you know PSG players for complaining too much. Pressurised. You're joking. No, he's just got it wrong. You're basically thanks to the VAR. And listen, the referee would have, I'm sure, probably would have been stood down as well had he been on duty last night, i.e. Wednesday night, the following night. But he wasn't, you know, so let, let's see what happens to him. But the VAR and the assistant VAR were stood down. And then we immediately had this kind of, you know, slight confusion over you know, sort of in the immediate aftermath, and basically, I checked with UA for first thing yesterday morning to get kind of, you know, get my get my get my ide- ideology right. Uh, basically, and but it, it it does feel someone who's a bit who's become a little bit of a refs and VAR bore. Even for me, I felt I needed to double check. You know, because no one's quite sure, and they're basically. You know, there was this meeting in April, which was a recommendation for clarity. You know, and people were wrongly then reporting, and this is, you know, the fault of journalists, wrongly reporting that basically sort of kind of the directive was ignored. Well, nothing was ignored or or kind of stopped because it was just a recommendation. And it all just feels a bit loose, Andy, doesn't it? You know, and my general impression is that basically the the handball rule is stricter, which I think is still true in, in UEFA competition, but we need a consistency, don't we? We need some sort of guide. What would your guide be as to what is handball and what is not that could be consistent across the competitions? Well, and what I'd do is, I mean, first of all, on your point that it's stricter in, in Europe, I mean, the stats irrefutably back that up, you know, in the last 190 Champions League games, there's been 46 penalties awarded for handball. And that compares to about 30-odd across 500 Premier League games in the same period. So it's it's clearly a very, very, very different um, judgment of handball um, in the Champions League, Europa League um, environment. In terms, first of all, on the handball 
through. You know, I mean, it is one of those things that no one's ever going to interpret in the same way. There's never going to be any uniform opinion on it. That's why I personally, I think there's a combination of things to be done here with VAR and the handball rule, for example. First of all, overarching thing, I think VAR is being used for too much, far too much. And now, you know, thankfully, I think IFAB, you know, they made a whole load of rubbish decisions, but I think any idea that VAR could be extended is, you know, hopefully resisted because I think it's already being used for too much. And I do think that maybe handball is one of those things that's being used too much for. I think handball is almost, it's almost an instinctive decision that a referee should know. You feel on the pitch, you know, you and we watch football and you look at it and you think, well, that's a handball. That isn't. You can tell. You can actually tell if there's an element of, I think there has to be, I genuinely think there has to be an element of, um, you either do it deliberately or you know that you could be handballing it so you, or you know that you are in danger of handball. So, for example, when you go and try and block a shot and you put your hands up, then you know that that might happen, so you know. But inadvertent handball, which, of course, um, Livermento's was, then no, that shouldn't be handball. If it inadvertently hits you on the hand, it shouldn't be. Again, though, you know, the, the ironic thing about that, I thought about the whole instance. I'm watching on TV, and do you know what? In real time, I shouted penalty. I shouted penalty in real time in the same way that the PSG players did, straight away. It looked like a penalty. It actually, so strangely enough, if I'm the referee, I'm giving that penalty live, I'm then looking at VAR and I'm changing my mind. Whereas he's done the exact opposite. So it just shows you how different opinions can happen. But on the broader issue, I think there comes a time where they've got to say VAR is being used for too much. Would it be too radical to say, you know what? Let's not use VAR for handball. Let's keep VAR for fouls and for offsides. I think possibly, because I think that is the most contentious part of VAR and handball, the combination of the two, gives us the most contentious issues, doesn't it? It really does. You know, the offsides, and we've come to accept now that they draw the line and, and we pretty much don't debate offsides anymore. We accept their word for it. And that's what with technology. You eventually accept it. So we accept Hawkeye in cricket. We accept that the ball's going to go and hit the stumps because the screen says it is. We now accept offsides. So that's, I think that's okay. Fouls, I think we can we can pretty much see again. There's a grey area where, for example, when Mark Rashford got sent off in the Champions League, um, missing last night's game because of that. Um, again, interpretation then becomes an issue. But I think the most contentious is VAR handball. And listen, I, I'm, and it's never going to happen. Right, for one, wouldn't be against it if they turned around and said, right, listen, no handball adjudication on VAR. The ref sees it or the assistant sees it. And if they don't, then carry on. I really do. I, I would be, I would be very happy with that. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd be very happy with that. No, I, I think that's a good shout. That because it takes away this kind of real jeopardy that if the ball hits the hand in any fashion, which seems to be just heightened in 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 the in the UEFA um, competition, you know that that seems to be the worry for me. You know, and I think the basic is just disproportionate. Matt, what did you make of the 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 um, 
IFAB meeting this week, and in particular, the um, push towards a trial for Sinbins, rugby style. Ten minutes for kind of a technical file, ten minutes for a, um, you know, a minor case of dissent. Yeah, um, I used to be a fan, I think, of Sinbins, but... I'm just disappointed. I noticed the game the weekend. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but a player, um, a decision went against him. He showed physical dissent, you know, anger at the official and kicked the ball away. And the game carried on. I thought, hang on a sec, first weekend he'd have been booked for that. And let's let's be honest, we go back, the game's not refereed at all. Like, yeah, how Webb came out and said, no, no, the players are going to change, not the referees. But lo and behold, another great big initiative at the start of the season disappeared after the first international weekend. Uh, and it's not as tight as I think the players' behaviour has improved a lot because of that initiative. I think captains do generally take it upon themselves to be made to be seen to be the ones talking to the referee. Um, and I think what the referees are themselves with in that, and it was a ridiculous first weekend, yellow cards are plenty, but no harm was done to the actual games. You know, it was just a warning shot across the bows. And that's what dissent simulation, those sorts of things should be. That's what a yellow card is. He says, look, I've got your card marked. Don't do that again. Um, right, you're warned. Now carry on. Trouble with simming, you have dissent, especially if it's light dissent. If three players go up to the referee and moan about a decision, do, do they play 10 minutes with eight men? I mean, if you set the bar for any sort of dissent, gets a sin bin, there's going to be games where, you know, there is a multiple occurrence, and that's just, a, you know, you can play all oh, sometimes 10's better than 11, say some managers, it's a nonsense, but eight against 11 is something different entirely, and you're just making a rod for your own back there that I don't think is really necessary. And, and I think the yellow card system, if it's applied and applied strictly, was has made a slight change, would make a bigger change if it was reinforced throughout the season. Uh, and, and I think that's enough. And Simbins is just messy. It's something else to keep an eye on. Players coming on, players coming off, slows the game down again. Um, yeah, I, I don't think... I think we should carry on, give this chance, you know, have a hard line approach on these things, but follow it through and see if that makes the difference. Yeah, no, it, it, it is interesting. It's interesting you mentioned about the captains because when that cropped up this week, I said, oh, well, well, could have sworn I've seen that before. I, I, I guess it's almost reinforcing the kind of, the, the you know, the suggestion which frankly, was in place anyway, wasn't it? But I think it was more of a, how can I put this? It was more of a kind of, well, dare I say, a recommendation than an actually enforced law. Is that my, is that is that a correct well, reason? It was enforced, wasn't it, at the start? Well. And if you weren't the captain and you spoke to the referee in a dissenting way, you were going to get a yellow card. But it's just not, it's not happening. It's, no, it's, not, it's it slipped away, isn't it? Mm, again, like we said it and like they all said it wouldn't. So just have the balls to, to see it through. To the cards. That's the players' ball. It's not the referees' ball. If they have to keep booking people, it's the players who aren't learning. And that was the message loud and strong at the start of the season. But again, it's fallen away again. We'll, we'll, they'll have another meeting now and say, look, it has slipped away after that Simbin discussion. Should we really go for it again? And there'll be another spate of bookings and they'll, they'll make another announcement and then it'll last another few weeks. And you just see it through and get the, the change. Because the other thing is with Simbins, lower down the pyramid and the non-league grassroots football, which is supposed to mirror what we see on the telly, you know, that's another thing that a poor referee's got to try and manage 
you know, in amongst everything else, if he is a referee, you know, it's just it just changes the game at the top level unnecessarily. I don't I don't know what, what we gain from them. No, I, I think the other thing is that that basically, you know, this clamour to try, almost try and things move things mid season. You know, like there was a bit of you know, there was a few people suggesting yesterday that sort of the, the, there was an immediate impact because Arsenal got a penalty last night from the from the Newcastle from the Newcastle game the night before. The moment we start moving things mid season is the moment we give up. It never happens. You know, basically, the referees might you know get a call reminding them of of what the law is. But the moment you change things mid season is the moment football goes pop because basically you can't you can't change things mid season. I, I actually think that you know it's a bit of a rant here, but basically, I do I do think that um, Arteta's been a bit unlucky with uh, with Arsenal simply because I do think that he's probably been charged. Um, uh, because I don't think for once, I don't think he said what he said was was out of order and crossed the line. I think it was pretty close to the line. But if you look at what, look at what the rules, FA rules state, I think he's very deliberately deliberately stayed on that side of the line. Do I particularly like his behaviour in respect towards officials? No, I absolutely don't. I don't think you should have charged him on this one. You should have left it for a couple of weeks and let him, you know, let him say something else, you know, and that because you can't, you can't go looking for someone. I feel as if they've been going looking for someone because they suddenly decided to clamp down on club statements. Well, that's moving the goalposts for me. And I just think we all know who I think the regular offenders are. The regular, the regular ones who get into referees and the ones who, you know, sort of, you know, play it a little bit naughty. And I, I, I actually think, you know, don't worry, he'll be up on another charge soon, but don't charge him when he hasn't broken the rules. Anyway, but there you go. So I thought that was a little bit naughty, but that, that, that's run over. If, if we're dealing with any other business, Andy, there's been a bit of back and forth this week between um, uh, the Premier League and Andy Burnham. Now, what do you what do you make of? Hey, listen, I I must confess here. I don't. I didn't think it was a great thing of Andy Burnham, who's the mayor of Greater Manchester, to suddenly get involved in 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 Everton. He's done it. He even says, doesn't he? I'm an Everton season ticket holder. What does that do for the people of Manchester? And should politicians be involved in football? And basically, you know, is he right to do so? And you know. What, 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 what do you what do you think is football becoming the kind of you know populist thing to populist thing for politicians to to get some extra votes with? Well, yeah, I don't think he's going for votes. I was there um, last last Sunday. Andy Burnham came to Gunnison Park and um, said what he said. I, I thought particularly. I know. I know you've written a story, John, uh, with the Premier League refuting the points that he makes the the, the grounds on which he suggested Everton. Um, have every right to suggest that the whole process was flawed, but I, I I listened to him last Sunday and thought he made some good points. And yes, I think he's got every right to get involved. I mean, he's an Everton season ticket holder. Any fan has a right to 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 make their feelings known. He happens to have a platform to which he can get heard, and that's fine. I, I, I don't see, and I, I can't imagine the people of Manchester will be upset that he's getting involved on behalf of Everton. No, I think he's got absolutely every right to say what he said. But I do think I'm not entirely sure about the um, uh, any veracity in the claims that, you know, there was some insidious element to his interview not being broadcast. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't honestly know the ins and outs in that, but I do think that one of the games overrun and slightly may have affected 
whatever the TV schedule. So I don't think, I think that's maybe pushing it a little bit. But does Andy Burnham have every right to, to, to try and help Everton? Yes, in the same way that every fan does. He happens to have a platform where he can get heard and read. Um, so, yeah, some good on him as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, in- interesting take on it. I'd, by the way, I'd love to see Andy Burnham be the next Labour leader. So n- nothing against Andy Burnham, but I just, I just thought it was, it was a really strange. <laughs> I know some people on social media did suggest that you know it was some sort of, I wouldn't say abuse of power, but you know he he was taking advantage of having a um, a public profile. But then you know, I mean, so many people do, and that's what it's there for, isn't it? You know, he, he's well known as a passionate Evertonian. Um, if I remember rightly, he, he was, um, and well, that's my point, you see, Andy, because I, I do feel as if that that's almost my point. So, what what happens when next time they get an absolute abysmal VAR call? Does Andy Burnham take it off? And then basically, that that's really my point, I guess. I, I'm not sure that it's right. I mean, I actually, you know, Everton fans have been on at me all week, really, because I do actually think that basically they needed punishment. And I know, you know, I know you've been very annoyed, much annoyed, annoyed, really not annoyed. very much team Premier League, pal. I know that. Well, no, I'm not really, because I do feel as if, you know, the, the, the punishment is too severe. And I do think, actually, I think it, it, they'll appeal, and I actually think it will probably get reduced. I mean, that, that, is an, that is a different argument. Where I think is, is wrong in the media, and basically, you know, this covers newspaper journalists, radio journalists, TV journalists, the amount of journalists who have written this story without reading the written reasons. Everyone banging on about, oh, yeah, Everton, Everton played ball and basically Everton fully cooperated. Well, you haven't read the written reasons. You just haven't because basically it makes it clear that they, they've cooperated once they got found out, you know, basically. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big difference there. And then basically, but I do feel as if, you know, we shouldn't be debating over the the, 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 the whys and the wherefores. We should be debating over the, the severity of the punishment because I think even other, even other Premier League clubs think, boy, it's a bit severe. I think the Premier League are trying to send out a strong message, aren't they? And basically, it is an interesting, it is an interesting one. So, But I just feel as if, you know, I, 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 I think that clubs who overspend, who break the rules, it's pretty clear, pretty black and white. It's about your return. Should probably be, should probably be punished. And do I think there should be a? I probably think there should be. Everton were one of the clubs that you know declined that opportunity in twenty twenty. You know, so I, you know, it's a really really difficult one. But I do feel ten points feels excessive. But you know, a club like Everton, I think should be should be campaigning for teams not to break the spending rules because if it, if a team is impacted. It's the team outside the top six, you know. So anyway, you know, very, very, very quickly on Andy Ben. Of course, we also know that, 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 that he, he is a football man, and 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 yeah. I remember rightly, you know, has, has been a some of our functions supporting Manchester. Yeah. I think it was in any company's function, wasn't he, sir? Yes, he was, yeah. And uh, listen, I, as I say, I really like Andy Burnham. I'd like him to be the next Labour leader because he's sort of, b- 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 you know, frank, frankly, for, for, for some people inclined, he, he presents a, a, a different view of the Labour Party and a good one. So uh, I just think, or thought on this one, I, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, but uh, I guess football is a... Uh, is a populist one for the politicians, isn't it? But anyway, but we'll, we'll see. I, I, here's my, here's my bet. I reckon they'll end up reducing it on appeal, 
and basically, you know, so let's see. Let's see. But, I, you know, it's one of those things. But anyway, Matt, you were um, at uh, Spurs on Sunday, weren't you? And basically we, we saw the tributes, and I just want to touch on this briefly, um, on Terry Venables just picking up because, you know, there was so much coverage this week, and rightly so, of one of England's great manager or one of English football's great managers and one of the, one of the great characters uh, 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 as well. I guess, I guess it might run into this weekend, mightn't it? I haven't checked, actually. But basically, you know, the, the respect shown to Terry Venables is particularly fitting. Great, great man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my one regret is that I bumped into him late in his career, um, particularly worked closely with him when he was at Leeds, which uh, was a bit of a car crash throughout the entire spell. He was signed up to do a job that wasn't really there and it quickly disintegrated around him. But I have to say the razzle-dazzle, the energy, the charm he brought to the job, even yeah, up in Yorkshire where he's a Cockney and, you know, not seen as an outsider, you know, he, he brought some, some magic to the place for a few months um, before uh, uh, before it all got sold from around him. Um, but, yeah, he was he was very engaging, very astute, um, uh, had the rare privilege of an hour in his office uh, his invitation, I have to say, after something I wrote, which we disagreed on, and you know, but but at the end of it, you know, he, he talked through what he was trying to do, uh, and uh, and he kind of he kind of what won you over as a person uh, when you sort of spent time in his company. Um, uh, you know, you you kind of got why players wanted to play for him. He he, he was yeah yeah absolutely um, yeah sad sad long illness that he had as well, which you know sort of robbed us of because um Gareth Southgate's the leg his legacy. Let's make no bones about that. When Southgate arrived, I think he wanted Terry to come and talk to the players um, because he was out influential. Um, to him, uh, I was sadly he was never really well enough to, to do that. But uh, but yes, yeah, definitely a lot of what Venables did in Euro '96 is what Southgate's taken on um, and built on. So I think this current crop of England players don't realise quite how much they owe to him. And that's aside from the tactical genius, which everybody within the game is talking about. Um, you know, one of Lineker described him as as the greatest English coach. Um, mm. You know, uh, and he should know. Um, you know, he is a remarkable man. Yeah, great man manager. Absolutely brilliant man manager. Mm. Um, Andy, let's move on to Newcastle Man United because I tell you what, those two teams have really got to bounce back quickly for for what is a huge game, isn't it? Really for both teams because it feels like what one of those victory would would push them on and basically for for, for their season really. And so it's a, three points is vital, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I, listen, it, it should be well. It'll be a fascinating game. That, that's for sure. Newcastle are. You know, to a certain extent, from my point of view, they're, they're defying my expectations in the sense that with the mounting injury list, you know, and it is a terrible injury list that they've got, they are still getting results. I mean, you know, the I didn't expect them to be so um, decisive in their victory over um, Chelsea. Obviously, they were very close, although, although clearly they were robbed by a terrible decision, but having said that, they were um, dominated by PSG, but they were still very close to getting um, a landmark result out in Paris. They continue to surprise me with their 
um, unbelievable level of resilience. So they'll be a big test for Manchester United. Having said that, Manchester United themselves, you know, have won five out of the last six Premier League games. They're showing a bit more solidity at the back in those games. They haven't been games against, you know, blue chip opposition, so to speak. However, the second half against Everton, they were comfortable. I didn't think they were very good first half, and Everton certainly should have been at least on level terms, if not ahead of halftime. But in the second half, they were better. Um, they had a little bit more shape about them. I think the formation they played there with, um, and, and I expect them to play on Sunday, um, sorry, Saturday night, isn't it? A late kickoff, isn't it? Um, uh, with, with Kobe Mainu who was sensational on Sunday. I think Ganacho offers them something different. Um, I've got a hunch they'll go there and win at Newcastle, but it'll be mightily difficult because Newcastle are, you know, I, again, I think are define the odds in terms of the odds being the injury list they've got, the the stretching of their squad with the Champions League commitments. Um, I think it'll be a fascinating game, but I just think that United... I've got a listen. They should have won, shouldn't they, in Istanbul? Let's let's get it right. You know, they would have had it not been for enormous mistakes. So I do think they're in. They are in a, a semblance of good form, and I think they'll go there. And I think that they'll, they'll nick a win. They look. They looked. They looked threatening against Everton. You know, particularly in the second half. Um, and as I say, they have got some momentum in the league, but it'll be a belter, yeah. But I fancy Man United. Yeah, Man City, Tottenham, Matt. The, wheel, the wheels come off a bit for Big Ange. Have they come off Yeah, absolutely. The greatest manager Spurs have ever had. And suddenly, if they lose on uh, lose on the weekend, it's four defeats in a row. They've not done that for 20 years. Um, you know, it's it it amazing how quickly it changes. Um, yeah, it, uh, prove anything with stats. Um, yeah, I've got, got text after, after the, de- the, the defeat on Sunday, Matt, saying that basically blaming the media, saying that we had such a media loving... What are you going to write about now? You know, basically, sort of basically having a right old go at me for bigging up Ange in the first place, basically. I uh, thought you were blaming them, the media. Um, re- reminds me of a in-house club interview with Mark Hughes when he was at Blackburn, uh, where the in-house reporter said, um, some of the media are reporting that you haven't won for three games. And I thought, talk about blaming the media. But uh, but no, that aside, he, the fact is he hasn't won for three games. He's lost three games. Um, and there are reasons for all three of those defeats. And, and some of them have been um, fairly uh, uh, controversial. And certainly they've all been mayhem. But the underlying problem he's got is he's still playing with his system with the wrong players because he hasn't got any other players. And uh, and the injuries are counted against him in the suspensions. Uh, and Romero's back again. That will make a difference against Haaland. Yeah, God forbid they go up again without um, without him against Haaland. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're going to be clinging on with their fingernails against City, trying to press, and, you know, they're more likely to to win 4-3 than 1-0. Um, it's that kind of roller coaster he's taking them on this season. The fans love it. Why not? It's, it's great to go and watch as a neutral. And, uh, you know, if he can cobble together enough points and lift them out of this current rut and get another run going and lift them into the top four by doing that, then I think Spurs fans will all agree they've had a great season after some fairly dour seasons in recent, yeah, in the recent past. So, uh, so yeah, uh, 
They, they could win it. It's a stupid thing about the way he's playing football. Uh, you know, obviously City hot favourites, but but you never know. So certainly lots of people will be watching. I know that much. Yeah. Well, one game that stands out to me, Andy, was Burnley-Sheffield United. And am, am I being horribly, horribly naive here to say that basically credit to both clubs for sticking with managers that took them up? Is that horribly, horribly naive to suggest that they'll continue to do so no matter the result of the weekend? Or should, or should, or should, or should I mean, I mean first, sorry, first of all, um, yeah, that wasn't the game that stood out for me. To, to be fair, well, it probably stands out for the wrong reasons, you're right. But are you right to say credit to both clubs for doing that? Absolutely credit to them. I mean, in, in particular, well, in particular, listen, I, I mean, I thought, and I'm, I guess, most of us thought that Paul Hackingbottom, for example, would be would have gone a while ago, you know, um, after certain, you know, catastrophic, um, emphatic defeats. And but they've stuck with him. Um and Vincent Company as well. But I mean, you only have to see the way they lost that um the last game, um, um Burnley. You know, in it, it it's when things aren't going for you, they really aren't going for you, are they? You know, and, and they've lost so many games in, in not unlucky, but you know, rather unfortunate fashion. And I like the way the for what for the way Vincent Company had Burnley playing last season to get out of the championship, not just the fact that they got out of the championship, but the way they did it, the way they played, the way they entertained, the you know, the dread word, the philosophy. I'm glad to see they're sticking with that and giving it a chance. Yeah, and listen, I mean, John, you were you were you were on the um, you were on a table recently at a, at, at a function with, with when any company and Paul Eggenbottom both here on that table. You know, and and speaking to him, I'm, I'm hugely impressed by both of them. Um, will there come a time when either club thinks, you know? Right, we need to make a decision now, um, and maybe we need we need to change if we're going to stay in the Premier League. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just wonder a little bit of me wonders. You know, would either club? I mean, is there a chance, for example, that and Burnley, of course, have done it before. They've they, they've stuck with a manager who's taken them down, and twice they twice they stuck with Sean Dyche. Twice he took them into the Championship. Don't forget, and brought them straight back up. Would they be thinking that with 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 Vinnie Company? I think they might be. I, I genuinely think they might be. I genuinely think you never know. There might be a slight change in attitude towards clubs who've just come up. Is that do we go to the um, expense of hiring and firing in the hope that we stay in the Premier League, or do we just basically take it on the chin? You know, take it on the chin and think, well, this is what might happen. We might go down. I don't know. I I, I don't think. Let's put it this way. I don't think the loser of that game gets the sack, if it is a loser. No. I do think that they will give them both Paul Eggenbottom and the Vinnie Company will be given more time. I really do. Particularly as it's, you know, particularly, you know, and obviously in a strange way, it's almost done them a favour, the Everton punishment, because they have now got someone down there who's facing um, a similar battle. Yeah. Finish on Arsenal, Matt. Arsenal at home to Wolves. You you were at Arsenal last night, weren't you? And basically for Arsenal, smash six past the might, the European giant that is Lons. Um, uh, mind you, they did lose away at Lons. So, so 
Yeah, can't be that bad. But um, but no, I um, you know, uh, Arsenal are top of their Champions League group, top of the Premier League. Can they stay on 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 basically on top of either competition this season? It's got less lots of words. Well, that's funny because I asked Arteta which he found would find easiest. Yeah, well, almost. Yeah, no, it's my. My satellite delay again. I asked Arteta uh, on I forgot day it is on Tuesday, which he which he would find easy to win the Champions League or the um, or the Premier League, and he kind of sat on the bush, sat on the fence even, um, and said that uh, although it's a long hard slog for the Premier League, Arsenal won the Champions League. Um, <laughs> then uh, yeah, well indeed um, they. They'd never won the Champions League, so he said, well, that one has to be the harder. Um, but they're well set for both. That's what we agreed at the end, is that perhaps that's what they should cope for. Um, yeah, it's remarkable that they've had a really easy group. The whole campaign is smacked of being Europa League plus. Um, I mean, there aren't any great. It's Seville, which is a classic Europa League team. Lance, uh, PSV, none of them are the sort of PSGs that Newcastle have been Oh, and you know, heading to the San Siro, um, it, that feels Champions League. Arsenal's group hasn't done. They've done what they needed to do. They, they've walked through um, through a group, finished top. Um, the only thing is they're going to lose some momentum now. Um, it's bound to happen. They they beat Sheffield United five nil, and then had a little bit of a wobble uh, for a bit earlier in the season. A couple of results went against them. Spurs they only drew with, um, and. Uh, and and they're going to send a B team out to PSV pretty much certainly. Uh, and sometimes when that happens, it gives the players a rest, but it also just shakes momentum a little bit. So Arteta's message over the next few games has got to be keeping his players right on it, not let complacency come in for after what was an absolutely emphatic performance. Let's not forget last night. You know, six different players scoring. That's a sign of a team playing well. Um, and uh, they've got to. Uh, you know, keep their foot on the floor, even though some of them will be rested for the trip to Holland uh, the week after next, uh, and through a busy get through to that winter break without dropping too many points. And you know, that's the time to take stock and see where they are in the Premier League and, and what's realistic for them this season. I take my hat off to Matt Dunn, who has somehow managed to find a negative out of Arsenal being top of the Premier League and winning their Champions League on the back of a 6-0 home win over Lons. He's achieved it. So my congratulations to you, Matt. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, but guys, so nice to see you and see you same time, same place next week. 